Y'all give him a warm welcome. Well, thanks, Chris, for the warm welcome. And uh, I know um, we're highlighting missionaries in Children's Church. And so I also want to highlight we have a missions fund here at City Hope. And so if you want to donate and support uh, any missionaries that we support, and so we can support more, that would be awesome. Um, I thought it would be a good idea to start by just kind of explaining my role here, because a lot of you are probably like, who's this random person? <laughs> like, what does he even do? Um, so I, I'm the pastoral intern, and I am a, a full-time seminary student at Indianapolis Theological Seminary, um, and I love it. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would love to evangelize to you about ITS sometime, because it's just amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm on staff here, and my job is essentially to um, learn what it's like to be a pastor and to be a ministry leader um, with hands-on experience and serve the church while I'm doing it. Um, so Josh always says our in staff, our first role is to follow Jesus, to love our families and love our neighbor well. Um, and uh, after that, um, to be a, a, a good student and to serve the church well. Um, so that kind of summarizes my whole the whole of my, well, my life right now. <laughs> and um, uh, just a, an example of something that I get to do every week, Josh and I and Chris this semester, we meet together for a hands-on preaching class, um, and it, it's practical theology, so we're doing it practically in, in the church. And so I, I just love it. It's amazing. Um, and uh, I also want to say special thank you to the elders, Paul, Paul, and Adam, um, all our staff, Chris, Ebony, um, and Serena, and Josh, and Megan as well, who volunteers with our children. Um, you guys, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but I have a ton of um, financial and prayer supporters who support me. So I just want to say thank you to all those people. Thanks to my parents and my awesome wife, who's holding our uh, very cute son. He's wearing blue overalls today. So if you want to see something very cute to brighten your day, you can look at Jude, because he's, he's so cute. Um, and I, I just, I delight in his cuteness every day. Um, it, it makes me very happy that he is, like, objectively cute. Uh, so <laughs> we, we prayed for that before he was born, that he, he would be cute. And, uh, but speaking of prayer, uh, let's go to the Lord this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we love you so much. Um, but we only love because you first loved us. And... Um, I think it's easy when we see things like the war in Ukraine um, and our suffering brothers and sisters to, to despair. Um, but instead, Lord, would we cry out with them, how long until you come back, Lord Jesus? We look forward to your kingdom coming, and we pray for our brothers and sisters overseas who are suffering under, under the hands of horrible oppression and war. Um, that they would hold fast to the gospel, that the gospel would spread, that you would provide for their every need. Um, yeah, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story from one of my, my favorite stories. Um, and if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 23, that's where we're going to be today. But um, one, one of my favorite books of all time is The Hobbit. And I know we have at least a couple Lord of the Rings fans in here. Um, so I thought this would be an appropriate story to tell. Um, one of the most memorable chapters for me is one called Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. And I'm sure it, it's Finn's favorite chapter. I'm sure all of you have had situations where it's like you just got out of a bad situation and you got into a worse one. <laughs> um, so in this story, Bilbo, he just got the one ring from Smeagol and barely escaped with his life. The dwarves slayed the goblin king, um, and now they're on the run from these terrible creatures. And Bilbo, the twelve dwarves, and Gandalf come up to this cliffside, and they have nowhere to go. What's going to happen? And so they climb up these big trees. Um, the, the orcs and the goblins and the wargs and the wolves are all taunting them from below the trees. Where are they going to go? Um, and... Uh, Tolkien brilliantly sets this up where um, the, the king of the eagles comes and rescues them. Um, and the Lord does deliver us on his wings just like 
um, the hobbits were in this story. It's pretty amazing um, and probably not a coincidence that it's like that um, in the story. But that's kind of where our, uh, in, in our text, where the Israelites are. They had just gotten out of Egypt and they're out of the frying pan and it seems, oh shoot, they're getting thrown straight into the fire because um, they're not in the promised land yet. They don't know who's going to provide for them. And so um, let's turn to Exodus chapter 23. If you don't have a physical Bible with you, it'll be on the screen. Um, <clears throat> so this is the Lord speaking, and he says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When the angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces." You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and them from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand. You shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, I will sh- it will surely be a snare to you. In our story, Israel had just come out of the frying pan and into the fire, it seems. And now they've got another problem. Their land is occupied by the enemies of God. And let's just say these people aren't exactly friendly. We're, we're going to dive into this in a bit. Um, and so what's going to happen? And, and I, I just want to pause and say, uh, when I first read this text, I was like, what the heck is going on? If you look up in verse 19, it says, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Like, how do we get from boiling goats in milk to I'm going to blot out six people? Like, I, that's crazy. That's crazy. I, I was so taken aback by this. And you were probably so surprised reading this. Like, we were just talking about the Ten Commandments and the case law. Like, what, is, what does this have to do with anything? Um, but... Uh, I will invite you to join me on this journey as, as we see with the Lord's wisdom um, what this passage has to offer for us. So does that sound good? Yeah. Great. All right. Um, first, I, I want to remind us that this is a narrative. So we've been in and out of the Ten Commandments. Like We, we started this like a year and a half ago. That I, I think we forget sometimes that Exodus is a story, a true story of God's people being delivered from Egypt and into the promised land. That started all the way back in Genesis. Um, And Genesis and Exodus is one story. And so I want to bring you back to this narrative mindset that we're in um, by telling the story thus far from Genesis to here. Don't worry, we won't be reading the whole thing. Um, But it'll just be some quick, important points, story points along the way. Um, And I'll encourage you, if you haven't read Genesis and Exodus next to each other, to do that. You really see the big picture of what God's doing here. And as we're recapping, I want you guys to notice two things. One, I want you to notice the presence of God. So even when God doesn't say to his people, I'm here, he talks to his people. And, he, and the people respond. The people are so close. Notice the presence of God. Two, notice his promise. As the story unfolds, God will continue to fulfill his promise little by little as he leads his people where they're going to go. So notice the presence of God and the promise of God. So if you want to go on the Bible journey with me and flip in your Bibles, uh, we're going to start in Genesis 1, 28. So as you know, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
tells this grand story of how he did this. And at the jewel, the crown jewel of his creation is man. After that, he said his creation is very good. And he told man to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over all the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, theologians call this the cultural mandate because it's like go make culture, right? Like have children and dominate the earth, subdue it. Um, next, we're going to turn to Genesis three fourteen through 15. If you know the story, man kind of makes a mistake. And by makes a mistake, I mean sins grievously against the Lord. Um, they fall into sin and the world is brought under a curse. Because of this, we live in a cursed world as well. The Lord said to the serpent, um, by the way, the serpent is Satan. Because you have done this, this being tempting Adam and Eve to sin, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So what we're going to see is enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. That's what the word offspring means. Now, fast forward to Genesis 9. Eventually, we get the flood. The world becomes a wicked place, full of wicked people. And uh, God decides to start over with Noah and his family. And uh, I want to mention something that we often forget in the children's stories as we tell. Noah had three children, Canaan, Shem, and Japheth. Canaan, he sins, uh, or excuse me, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Um, Ham sins grievously against his father, but Shem and Japheth honor him. Um, I encourage you to, to check out this story on your own because it's fascinating. Um, and so let's see the blessing that Noah um, puts on his children. He says, Cursed be Canaan, who is the son of Ham, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. And he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Notice that um, he said, Cursed be Canaan, but blessed be Shem, right? Similar to, Cursed be the serpent, but he doesn't curse the woman in Adam in the creation story. We see the parallelism here. Um, And we're going to look at another genealogy here. Let's go to um, chapter 10, verse 15 through 17. So I I want you to notice um, here we've got Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn in Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, the Archites, and the Sinites. We have four of those nations that were mentioned in our passage, right? So these are the sons of men who are wicked and against the Lord, right? Keep that in mind. So these are not just random nations, but there is a history between God's people and these people who are opposing them. All right, let's go next to Genesis 12. God asks an incredible act of faith to Abraham. And in return, he's going to bless him and his descendants, right? He says, Abraham, leave the land that you live in, leave the gods that you serve, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and and your father's house. Wow, that's a lot to leave, right? And trust the Lord in to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. And I want you to, Maybe take a quick mental picture of this verse because this wording is going to come up later and is super important in the context of our passage. The Lord preserves Abraham and his offspring miraculously. You know, even though they're not good people, they make lots of poor choices and sin against the Lord, the Lord is faithful to his people and gracious and blesses them through Jacob, or through Isaac, who's Abraham's son, and through Jacob. And then Jacob becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament moves the Israelites into Egypt, and that's where Exodus starts. And um, since we've already preached through the beginning of the book of Exodus up till now, I'm going to be a little quicker. Um, But we see Pharaoh, the seed of the serpent, oppressing God's people greatly. Through backbreaking labor and threats to kill the male children, it is uncertain 
if the seed of the woman that we mentioned in Genesis 3 will survive. But the Lord always keeps his promises. And he hears the groans of his people who are being afflicted under the slavery of Egypt. Um, Let's look at Exodus 3, 7 through 8. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a land that is good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of who? The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. There they are again, right? So it's almost as if God knew all along that this is where they were going to be going. Um, He is sovereign over his people. Um, But there's a problem. They're in the promised land. And they also have to escape from Egypt at this point. And so God sends plagues on Egypt that say, your gods, I am sovereign over them. And he delivers his people from Egypt. And after he has saved them from Egypt, drawn them through the Red, or taken them through the Red Sea, provided for them before they enter the promised land. This is where we're at. The people are about to enter the promised land. Um, and so I, I want you to think, do you see the promise in the presence of the Lord? He's going to bless the seed of the woman. He's going to bring his people to the promised land. And in this passage that we just looked at, there is already a partial fulfillment of the promise that was given to the sons of Jacob, to the Israelites. We see that God keeps his promises and that he was with them the whole time. He was close enough to the Israelites to hear their groans. And I know many of you today are here groaning to the Lord. Maybe it's nothing in your life, but you see that the world is just in a bad place right now. Um, I read this morning in the news that uh, the Russians bombed a military training facility in the Ukraine that killed 35 people. And it's really hard to imagine in here the suffering that we have, but There are brothers and sisters who have potentially no place to live, no place to worship. Does the Lord hear their groans? Does he hear their cries? Does he hear your cries? Your cries when you're suffering from perhaps financial suffering or you are feeling the burden of family toils or oppression or anything. Does he hear our cries? And the answer throughout Scripture is a resounding yes. He hears our cries. He has never left his people. He will never forsake them, and his promises are true. We're going to see this as it comes true in his people in Egypt. Um, He is near to us today. He is near to us, City Hope. And he's near to our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. And not only there, but in China and Afghanistan and all the places where the church is suffering. He is near to them. And his promises are true for them. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, says the psalmist, and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from all of them. That's in Psalm 34. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and curse you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. Moses was one of those prophets that they persecuted. Um, I want to remind you that the Lord is near and his promises are true. They will never fail. Never. And in this promise to Israel, 
Um, I want to note something really cool about our text. God is sending an angel with his very name in him to guide his people. Let's look back at the text. Verse 21, pay careful attention to him that is the messenger that God is sending and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him for he will not pardon your transgression for my name is in him. That's kind of a weird thing, right? Like this is a hard text to go through. So I, I want to ask what's going on here. God is speaking about a messenger that has his name in him, but is not him. Like, how does that work? I think what we're seeing here is Old Testament evidence of the Trinity. This is an instance of what theologians call a Christophany, or when Jesus came to earth in some form or another and reveals himself to his people before he came at the incarnation. That's crazy. God did not somehow like create Jesus out of nothing and like send him to us. No, Jesus is God, and he has been with his people since the very beginning. That's amazing. Um, and I think it's a great reminder for us that Jesus has always been with his people, and he will be today. And it's so easy to forget. Um, but um, I, I just want to say the promise and presence of the Lord never fails. It never, ever fails. Um, and in this passage, we see three ways in which the promise and presence of the Lord relate to his people. And so um, we're going to be talking about deliverance, destruction, and dwelling. I'll say that one more time. Deliverance, destruction, and dwelling. Now, I want to start with deliverance, and we've already looked at what the Israelites have been delivered from. Horrible oppression and slavery. And, I mean, that's just terrible. But what has Israel been delivered into is the question, right? I think a lot of times we can forget that uh, and live in our current situation so much. It's like, wait, I forgot where I'm going. I just went out of this so much. I forget where I'm going. So what is Israel being delivered into? And the answer is prosperity. Well, some of you guys are like, I thought we hate the prosperity gospel. Slow down. And we do. We ought to, whenever a preacher or a friend or a teacher goes up uh, in front of their congregations and says, if you just have faith and pray enough and love God enough, all your problems are going to go away. Um, God will make you rich and give you whatever you want. Right now, you can have your best life now, whether that be perfect health, a fatter wallet, or the relationship you've always wanted. And I'm just going to encourage you to run away from that. That is not good. That is a misuse of the scripture. Flee that teaching. I would say maybe tell that to the early apostles. Um, see how they felt about that. Um, that's evil. That's not what I mean by prosperity. The counsel of scripture is clear. God gives us our gifts to glorify him and not to fill our lives and our storehouses with more and more things to be comfortable here on earth. And, you know, I think it's easy to criticize people who who believe these things constantly, but we all do this sometimes, right? We all want more things, and we want more things to make us happy, and we don't think, how can I glorify God with the things that I have? Um, God does not exist to give us everything that we want. Um, He exists for his glory and his worship. And so why does God say that he will overthrow the enemies of Israel, bless your bread and water, take sickness away from you, and say that none shall be barren in your land, right? Like, that can totally be abused. And, and people will take that and, and run with it and say, God will give you all those things right here, right now. Well, uh, and I also want to say, many of you probably would want those things, even just a little taste of them, right? I want some of those things, just a little taste of them. Like, our, our lives aren't perfect, and they're difficult, Right? But God's not saying he's going to take away every difficulty. Um, We're going to see uh, from the text that, one, we aren't the original audience. And so we shouldn't uh, project our modern uh, desire for blessing onto the ancient Israelites. The ancient Israelites were the original audience, and they had a specific land to dwell in and a specific purpose for their time. We do as well, but this blessing does not apply to us in the same way that it does to them. But I want to encourage you, we get it in an even greater way. 
we are blessed with the Holy Spirit living in our hearts to bring the gospel to the whole earth, knowing that our permanent promised land is in the new heavens and the new earth, which are coming in the future. Right? City Hope, you get the whole earth, the whole thing. Remember that scripture that Jesus told us earlier? Um, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You get the whole thing. And so, I want to encourage you, if you are setting your mind today on earthly things, you are setting your sights too low. I'm telling myself this because, um, yeah, re- recently we're getting our tax return, and it's just like, oh, we can use this to get so many things, and, and uh, it's so easy to, to think about the things we get rather than um, how can we glorify God with what we have. C.S. Lewis said famously in The Weight of Glory, and, and this piece has greatly affected me, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of those rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it means by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We get the whole earth and God himself. It's pretty amazing. Secondly, the Israelites were communally prosperous, right? This isn't about individual wealth, but this is a passage about getting a blessed land that all can live in and enjoy the presence of the Lord together. Remember, presence and promise. They get the promised land and they get the Lord. That's awesome. Now, certainly, there were poor and outcasts in the land. Like, there's so many scriptures about that, even ones that we read in the case law before. And I want you guys to note, think, think through our Ten Commandments for a sec. How many of those are about loving your neighbor, right? Obviously, if our, our neighbors had everything they needed and, and we had everything we needed, and th- then we wouldn't need those commandments. But there were poor people in Israel, Right? And, and so they were communally prosperous. The goal is for them to care for each other. Clearly, this is not about gaining wealth, but loving God and neighbor. And uh, as a side note, but it's related. That's why we have our Mercy and our Mission Fund here at City Hope, so that we can bless our neighbor and use any prosperity that God has given us to serve the kingdom. Um, and I want to encourage you, if the Lord has made you prosperous today, you can use that for the good of the church. It is so wonderful. Um, Third, this is about right obedience and worship. So remember when I talked about the cultural mandate, right? So this is about filling the earth and subduing it. When God says be fruitful and multiply, part of that is having children, having lots of babies. Now, what does he say in this text? He says, uh, I will take sickness away from you, None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. God has them have children so that they can fulfill his promises. That's crazy. Um, He said he's going to make it so you can't stop having babies. And you'll be able to feed them all the way through for his glory. We so often separate obedience and blessing, but we forget that they are tied together. The obedience and blessing itself go like this. And so I think a lot of times if we are not feeling blessed by the Lord, we should ask, is this because I'm not obeying him properly? Now, that's not saying all your suffering is because you're disobedient. That's not saying that. But um, it is good to reflect on our hearts. Um, And I want to say maybe you are calling out today, like Israel, waiting for the suffering to end, waiting for the blessing to come. Remember, God never leaves his people and his promises are true. They are sure. They will come to pass. So maybe you are asking sincerely, God, I just, I want to make it to the next day. Maybe you're in a a sloth of, of, I don't know if that's a word, sloth, a sloth of depression and and you just can't get out of bed. Say, God, I just want the energy to get out of bed. Maybe you are struggling with food insecurity 
and you say, I just, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. Or maybe you are just feeling the brokenness of the world and you want Jesus to come back soon. But I want to remind you, the promises the Lord are true and he is with you. His presence is real. Jesus says that the one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So I encourage you, no matter what your portion is, be faithful with much, and he will reward you. Second, we talked about, uh, I don't remember actually, deliverance. (laughs) Next, we're going to talk about destruction. And so uh, God's presence and promise also relates to destruction. And clearly, clearly, God calls his people to destroy all the idols of the peoples they conquer in verse 24. And also, not to make a covenant with their gods um, in verse 32. Like, okay, that, that sounds easy enough. But if you look at ver- chapter 32 of Exodus, we see immediately after they've received all this instruction and all this blessing, and um, they see a vision of the Lord in chapter 24, they go on and make a golden calf. And man, oh, it is hard to get rid of idols. Um, it's hard for us today. We should be slow to judge the Israelites for making a golden calf because I am certain that we would do the same thing in their shoes. Um, We find so many ways to justify keeping our heart idols in our life. We're not usually a culture that bows down to real world idols like many other cultures do. Um, But... um, We so often give over to the idols of food and drink, money, sex, or even good works apart from the righteousness of Christ um, in order to find his favor and speed up his blessing. So I think the Exodus story ought to lead us to reflective repentance and joyful repentance. It's a good thing to come back to the Lord when you have sinned. So I encourage you, um, if you are struggling with sin today, turn to him. He's gracious and merciful. It's wonderful. But God doesn't only destroy idols. He is promising to destroy six entire cultures with all the people in them. And when I was reading this, I was so taken aback. And, and I went to the original language. It's like, blot out, blot out six people? That seems kind of extreme, right? And I'm like, okay, with the wrath of God. And uh, in, in my Hebrew text, in the subtext, it says it means something like total annihilation. Um, we see some of the fulfillment of this in the fall of Jericho, that great Canaanite city. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 21. Um, then, this is after the fall of Jericho, they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, Young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. They were all killed. I, I don't want to soften the blow of this. This is really challenging. Why does God blot out six whole cultures? Like, these people aren't around anymore. Uh, this is why this text has been a challenge to, to think about how to preach. Um, and uh, even more Uh, Jericho is one of the most studied archaeological digs, and there is great evidence that this actually happened. It's pretty crazy. Um, I think that this is really challenging to think about, especially from our Western mindset where God's judgment has been so misunderstood. In our own history, many Americans use passages like these to justify conquering land that belonged to Native Americans in the name of God and doing unspeakable horrors into other ethnic groups as well, because they believed that their Anglo-Saxon race was to was the new Israel and had to take this land for themselves. They believed that America was the promised land. As we have seen, this is an abuse of the biblical text and not the right understanding of prosperity, and I think puts God's judgment harshly in the minds of people uh, in the wrong way. Um, they see God as a bully who doesn't care for them, and it's hard. It's hard for a lot of people. Um, Others today try to cut out all parts of the Old Testament and some of the new that talk about the wrath of God because 
The loving God can't be angry, and the God of the Old Testament is angry. But the God of the New Testament is, long, is loving, and as if God could change somehow. Some are so offended that God would judge them, or anyone for that matter, that all those parts of Scripture that talk about God's judgment are simply allegorical, allegorical or not even Scripture at all. And they end up jettisoning the whole of Scripture because they can't get over this one hump. And I want to encourage you, if either of these are you today, this is hard. Like, I just want to admit, this is hard. But I also want to say, like, this is who God is. He judges sin. He hates sin. And, I mean, I I don't know. When I look at this text, there's no way around it. Um, And so I encourage you that... um, God is, is real, and we have to accept him for who he is, not who we want him to be. Then we're not knowing God at all if we just kind of create a, a fake God in our minds who's always loving and, and doesn't judge sin. And I think part of this comes from not reflecting on our own hearts and seeing our own sin very deeply. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we will see that our sin deserves judgment. But... That's not the end. God is love. He is also a consuming fire. God curses the wicked, but he also blesses his children. And God is angry, but he is also slow to anger. And when we reflect on our own sin and the mercy that we have received, how great a mercy is it? How gracious is our Lord? We have sinned so grievously against him, and he is so merciful to us. And so, City Hope, if you're sitting here wondering why God would judge sin, or if you're really feeling your own sin right now, like, I really messed up this time. Like, there's no way I can recover from this. Or you know someone, and there's no, you think there's no way they can recover from that. And the reality is they can't. But God can. God has sent his son to die in our place His blood has covered us so that we don't have to experience the wrath of God and all who run to him for for repentance. Every single person, he doesn't turn a single one away who turns to him in faith. And so if you are struggling with this, think of the mercy of Christ on the cross because he died for you. And yeah, if this text makes you angry, um, I want to encourage you. I'd love to talk with you about it. Because uh, as one of my professors says, the most difficult texts of Scripture often yield the greatest rewards. Um, And yeah, so I'd love to talk with you more about this. And um, yeah, when we see how sinful we really are, it makes God's mercy all the more great. Um, Not that it is greater, but we just see it greater. He's just that, he's that incomprehensible. And yet he relates to us in a way that we can truly understand. I don't even know how that's possible. Um, Man, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, And I get great joy from this text and also a great somberness. I I, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. But (laughs) um, so we talked about, we talked about deliverance. We talked about destruction. um, And finally, we're going to talk about dwelling. Now, I don't think I need to spend as much time here because the whole book of Exodus is leading them into the promised land, and we've talked about it quite a bit. Um, But I think it's super important to bring up because the promised land was so important to the Israelites. If you've ever read, like, weird texts that seem weird to us in the scriptures about, like, Joseph moved his bones to Israel after he died, like, what's going on there? Um, there is an importance of the promised land, or moved his, his bones to the promised land after he died. There's an importance of the promised land to the Israelites. Um, and uh, in the ancient Near East, it's completely unheard of for one God to be invisible, Lord over the earth, and to, to exist on his own, apart from his people. Um, in Egypt... Ra was the sun god, and, and then it was like Pharaoh was the god. So they had this kind, like, kind of god in their presence, but he died all the time. So what do you do with that? <laughs> it's like, uh, this is the only instance where God speaks directly to his people. Um, now, 
You think about this. In Psalm 8, um, the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How, how is that possible, right? He's Lord over all the earth, but he's our Lord specifically. And part of the reason for that was because of the promise dwelling that was promised to the Israelites. That was the place where they got to experience that, the grandness of the Lord in one place at one time. Um, that's where God dwells, especially with his people. The land relates to the Lord because once the Israelites finally arrive, it's like the promise has come to fulfillment and the presence of the Lord is there, right? The promise and the presence of the Lord never failed for the Israelites. And um, I, I've already mentioned it, but we get the whole earth. For the church today, we, we know the fuller revelation that the church who is the new Israel gets the whole earth. That is our promised land and the new heavens too um, when it comes. And we can look forward to that together. And uh, I, I want to revisit and reread verses 20 through 22. So we've talked about um, deliverance. We've talked about destruction. And we've talked about dwelling. Um, but we have a problem. And what could that problem be? I'm going to read 20 through 22 again. Behold, I will send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Remember, this is pre-incarnate Christ. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. The Lord says he will not pardon your transgression if you sin against him. Uh-oh. We already talked about the golden calf. Israel sinned against the Lord. How does that work? They do immediately after they are delivered from Egypt and they're at the foot of the mountain where the Lord gives them the commandments and all this stuff. They make the golden calf and it's like, oh my gosh. They literally just broke the commandment. They deserve God's judgment. Um, and I want to take you um, to Exodus four, or 20 verses 4 through 6 in the Ten Commandments. Second commandment, you shall not make yourself a carved image golden calf, or a likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh Uh-oh. He's jealous and avenging. This This is really bad. This is, this is horrible. Why was Israel not destroyed? They sinned gravely immediately after getting the commandments. Oh my gosh, what's going on here? So, uh, let's turn to Exodus 34. Now here, Moses was given a new Ten Commandments because he broke them in Israel's disobedience when he saw it. Um, and so after he is given new commandments... The Lord says something that's going to sound a little similar, um, but he reveals a little more of himself. Verse 6. That's the first one I put up there? Yeah. The Lord passed before him. So he passed before Moses. That's crazy. And proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head to the earth and worshiped. You see, God, in relation to the second commandment, see how the wording is so similar there? He didn't say he was merciful the first time. After they broke the commandment, he said, look how merciful I am. God is merciful. He's gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Not only is he loving and just, as he declared with the second commandment, he is also merciful and gracious all the more. Slow to anger, uh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And it's not that his character changed, but he chose to give his people mercy. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to. 
And today, we receive mercy from the Lord by the blood of his Son. Athanasius says in his uh, great work on the Incarnation, Thus, by what seems him utter poverty and weakness on the cross, he overturns the pomp and parade of idols and quietly and hiddenly wins over the mockers and unbelievers to recognize him as God. You see, Jesus did not die in a way that we would consider as glorious. He suffered the shame and rejection of men, and even worse, the very wrath of God for our deliverance, for the deliverance of his people. That's how God pays the price for sin. That's how you can say, I punish every sin, and I am incredibly merciful. Without Christ, that would be a paradox unresolvable. That's how he pays the price for sin. That is how the Father's wrath against his people is satisfied through his son's death and resurrection on the cross. Now, let's look again at our passage. Let's go to Exodus 23, verse 22. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, I will be a what? An enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Now, this is referencing Genesis 12, where the Lord says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, right? Same thing. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God moved his people towards the promised land for all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth get blessed through this deliverance into the promised land. It's not like he is angry with no purpose and he judges nations with no purpose. No, the purpose is for his people to dwell in the promised land. And his people are people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. This is a wonderful truth. The promised land in its fullest form was never meant for only ethnic Israel. It's for you and me and the Gentiles like us. People from every nation and tribe and language will be worshiping the Lord into eternity. And I mean that. Eternity. Forever. We cannot grasp in our feeble human minds what eternity will look like. And even as we experience, we won't ever see the end of it because it will never end. And so I, I, I have only one application for you all today. And then I'm going to give you a final scripture to sum everything up. Um, dwell on God. This week, this month, dwell on God. Think about his promises to his people and his presence. Because his promises never fail, and he is always with us. Think about his deliverance, his destruction of the wicked and idols and our heavenly dwelling place that we look forward to. He is good. His promises never fail. He is always with us. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. Verses 1 through 9. I think those are the verses I put up there. Yeah. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There's the dwelling right there. And the promise is coming true. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. His promises are trustworthy and true, said he hoped. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls 
full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. It's his church, friends. It's his church. His presence there, his promise fulfilled, the dwelling secured, the destruction final, deliverance completed. It's all going to happen, friends. All of it right here in this passage, we get a tiny glimpse of what it's going to be like for us to all enjoy the heavens and the earth together. If you're a believer today, and you, I, I want to encourage you that you have the new heavens and the new earth waiting for you. Continue turning from sin to love God and love your neighbor, because you have the Holy Spirit in you. He's our, our seal of the promise that, that we get. And if you are not trusting Christ today, I want to urge you, flee the wrath to come. He is being merciful to you as we speak and giving you time to repent. So do it with gladness, right? This is not something I want you to beat yourself up over, but do it with joy because he loves you. He loves you more than you know. And if, if you think about all the ways you have sinned against God, he is more merciful than those. He is ready to welcome you with open arms. And we here at City Hope would love to welcome another brother and sister into the kingdom. Um, and so if you are wondering how you can know Jesus, um, if you're online, you can send us a message, or if you're here in person, ask someone next to you. There's lots of faithful believers here who would love to tell you how to experience that. All of life and the things of the earth are mere smoke compared to God and what he has coming for us. And he, we're going to experience this forever. I mean forever. May he be glorified in all our works, and may we worship him in all we do. Let's pray. (sighs) Oh Lord, your judgments are fierce, and your wrath is fiery, but your love and your grace is so much greater than we can imagine. You have covered our sins with the blood of your Son. May we think about that today and always. Would you be our hope, our song, and the one who gets us through every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.